You're listening to My HR Buzz, brought to you by My HR Concierge. Hosted by Chris Cooley, we'll bring you various topics and guests to shed light on the often confusing world of HR and also employee screening. We'll be putting the human in human resources. We know the world of HR and employee management can be confusing. And really what we want to do with this podcast is to help break down a broad range of those topics related to human resources and employee screenings. We want to provide you some good information that you can take back and use and not put you to sleep while doing it. So we really hope that we can uh, provide that useful information to you. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know already, but you can uh, find us on iTunes as well as any other typical podcasting sites. If you will, please subscribe so that you can always have the most up-to-date episodes of the podcast. In addition, we also have a blog, the My HR Buzz blog. It's at www.myhrbuzz.com. It's a free resource, uh, and we have a ton of information on all types of HR topics from COVID-19 to um, what to do in sexual harassment cases. Uh, It's just a really great resource, and again, it's free, so I encourage you to go there. Today, we're going to discuss employee handbooks. Uh, we're going to talk with John Yarger, who is the co-founder of My HR Concierge and My HR Screens. And he really has a wealth of knowledge of uh, relating to employee handbooks and federal and state regulations. And so we're going to talk about, you know, cover topics such as, uh, you know, should we have a handbook? Um, if we have one, what should be included? Uh, how, how often should we have a, our handbooks looked at by a professional? those kind of things, because we get a lot of questions uh, from business owners around that and thought it would be a great topic for today. I want to welcome John Yerger to the My HR Buzz uh, podcast today. Uh, John's going to talk with us about uh, employee handbooks. Uh, John is a, he's a co-founder of My HR Concierge and My HR Screens. And, you know, with that, uh, he has a great deal of knowledge. He handles the operations side of the business, um, deals a lot with state and federal regulations. Um, they do countless handbooks every, uh, every month. And so he's a, he's a great source, has a lot of expertise in this area. So I thought he would be a great resource for us to talk about these. And he's also been my business partner for over a decade. So uh, I think it's a, it'll be a great fit. And we really appreciate you being here today. Oh, great, Chris. It's great to be with you and uh, uh, glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and one thing, uh, you know, as we talk about handbooks, um, we, I talk with a lot of prospects and clients and, uh, you know, one of the, the, the first question I always, I always ask or always get is whether they have to have a handbook. Um, is that required? And so what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's, that's such a fitting question uh, to lead the topic, Chris. <laughs> Do I have to have a handbook? I guess the short answer is really no. You know, they, they don't. Uh, but that being said, all employers are still responsible for informing and applying policies and practices that comport with federal and state labor law. And where I get challenged with employers who don't uh, believe that a handbook is necessary is how are you effectively, consistently communicating uh, those employee practices, those policies uh, to your employees? Uh, I, I just don't know how you're able to do that without a formalized document process that does that on a consistent and, and cons- uh, accurate basis. It's in these situations where employers can really get into trouble uh, 
you know, and, and, and that leads to non-compliance penalties and, and potential fines. No, absolutely. And I agree with that. I think, um, you know, I really think that it, it's important for businesses to have them. And so, so, I mean, from your point of view, I know you gave us a few kind of, kind of cons there. What are, what are your pros and cons? Um, so what would you tell a business owner uh, that's asking that question of whether they should build or whether they should have a handbook? Uh, what's, what's your thoughts on that? What would you tell them? Yeah, that's, that's also a good question. I think, you know, the biggest pro I can pull out for a handbook is it really sets the expectations uh, between the employee and the employer. You know, it informs them of rules, guidelines, practices, procedures, and informs employees of their rights and responsibilities uh, in that workplace. And, you know, for, for me, that leads to a, a really healthy, safe, and productive workplace and workforce. Um, employees who understand, you think about new employees who come on board, you know, they know they can do the job. You wouldn't have hired them to do the job if they couldn't do the task and the essential duties of that job. But a handbook gives them the guidelines uh, and it and it helps them understand what's expected to them in terms of how they interact with each other, uh, how they uh, interact with employers, all the different things that they can expect as an employee that builds confidence first. And then it also is a, a foundation of trust that's built between the employee and the employer, which is fundamental. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think, um, and, and, you know, one thing too about, to your point, which I think is a great point, is that that's really the way that uh, they can communicate with those employees. Let them know what's required. Uh, it allows them to communicate those required regulations, if you will. And, you know, one thing that, that we hear a lot, and I know you've probably heard it too from business owners, is as we're talking about handbooks and regulations and those things, that, you know, the thought was uh, when the when the administration, when the presidency went to a Republican presidency, that you know what, we really don't have to worry about that because they're all it's 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 going to be pro business, right? right. Uh-huh. And and so with that, we really don't have those. You know, they're not going to be putting regulations out, and we know that's not true yeah. uh, because there have been a lot that have come out uh, since. But uh, you know, we hear that a lot, and 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 that's just simply not true. Yeah, I t- there are countless examples of that. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. Um, probably not a good idea to base whether your enforcement of your workplace practices are governed by which administration serves in the White House. Uh, I just don't think that's a, a good metric for that determination. And as you've alluded to a moment ago, I, you know, the enforcement of immigration laws has been really, um, over the past few years, we've really seen an increase in that and as well as wage and hour. So I, I don't know I would hang my hat on an administration as to whether or not I need to worry about enforcing policies. Uh, you know, and I, I also say, you know, one of the things about not having a handbook, uh, kind of the larger brush years, I hear clients say, well, I'm an at-will employer. I don't have mm-hmm. to have a reason mm-hmm. to terminate employment. You've heard that too, right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and so in response to that, absolutely, you're an at-will employer if your state is an at-will state. But uh, yes, you do have the right to, empl- uh, to terminate employment without cause or reason, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't preclude the individual or the employee's right to to seek remedy or to sue you for wrongful termination. So that that's that's not uh, uh, in a vacuum. That doesn't just serve one. The employee still has opportunities to remedy that if they feel like they were wrongfully addressed or wrongfully terminated. Yeah, no, that's a great point because so many of these businesses do think that's a get out of jail free card. 
Right, right. It's at will, so we don't have to we don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah. So no, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that comes up a lot, and I get I get asked this question a lot, uh, is how long should a handbook be? Because yeah, that's go ahead. I, well, I was going to say, um, you know, it, I, I, from talking to a lot of these clients, I mean, I swear some of them they they probably have to bring a wheelbarrow, you know, just to tote their handbook around. Yeah, uh, they're so long and they have so many policies in them. So, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? What how long should one be? You know, I. I, I think an employee handbook should be as effective and efficient as it possibly can. Um, you know, and that's a tall order. Clearly, there's some policies that you really have to be expressive and uh, providing language to the employee that informs them of their rights and responsibilities. FMLA comes to mind as an example. Uh, that, that particular policy, in many cases, can take several pages of an employee handbook just to get the basic information communicated to the employee. So you have to measure that in a way that um, really looks for the proper content versus length. I don't think length really matters. It's really more about do I have the proper policies that comport with federal state labor law? Are my best practices consistent with the workplace culture and environment that I want to create? And if you can answer those, I think you want to build that book in a way that is is. Uh, efficient as it can be, but still express all of the proper language and policies. No, I think that's good. And and, and I know too, one thing that, that I've heard as well is, uh, you know, when, when you roll in that wheelbarrow and you've got a 150 page handbook, uh, the question is, is anybody going to read it? Right. Yeah. And, why would they? Right, right. I know. I, you know, I, I, I can honestly say outside of the ones that, uh, you know, in places where I've worked, unless I've written them, I don't know that I want that I always read them. Um, yeah. So, uh, but you know, with that, that also goes to as there are court cases and such that there has been, you know, some instances where when these companies have these 150 page or 100 page handbooks that can go against them um, just for that reason, because common sense from that perspective, uh, people have argued, you know, it's so long. How could we read all that and understand all that and remember all that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Clearly. And, and that's a reasonable man test, right? It's uh, and I think that's what, if you were in a civil proceeding, that's what would be expected. Is it reasonable to assume that the individual, not only did they receive it, did they read it? Did they understand it and know where to go if they had questions about it? And that's that's the language you typically see in employee acknowledgement that I received that handbook. I read it. I understand it. And I know where to go if I have questions. Uh, if you really go overboard with that, um, then, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. Now, you know, I would say, too, Chris, this kind of goes back to the pros and cons. Right. So you just kind of identified some of the things that I would, I would say are cons to a handbook. And those are, that are uh, overwordy have too many policies that are never clearly going to be enforced if uh, consistently, if at all. And then you also have um, maybe policies that are just outdated and you haven't taken the time to really shore that up and, and maintain that handbook in a proper way. And I get it. These, these employers don't have time to sit down and make these massive edits and changes and reviews to their handbook. They're running their business. They're running their operation, but it is really important. It's a, it's an important topic and it really is the cornerstone for a, a lot of what positions an employer 
uh, and, and a defensible posture if, if they were to find themselves in mediation or in a civil proceeding. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that, that's true. And, and one thing you said there um, that I wanted to, I wanted to get back to as well, you mentioned acknowledgements. Um, I know, right. I know we have a lot of, you know, we, we talk to a lot of businesses that don't get those. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great point that um, to bring that up to say, you know, they need to get those acknowledgement forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's absolutely critical. Um, too many times uh, we, we're faced with situations where uh, corrective action or termination was was made. And in reading the termination document, um, you really didn't have clear, specific cause. And you didn't tie it back to a specific rule of conduct or policy that speaks very clearly to what the consequences of non-adherence to that policy. So with those situations, that policy becomes part of your defense, clearly part of your defense, along with that employee acknowledgement that would be uh, also offered as as, uh, information or or, um, as part of that defense as well. So uh, when we don't have those tied together very cleanly, very tightly, that does expose that employer to uh, a flimsy defense and risk of uh, either very costly settlements or jury verdicts. No, that's a good point. And, and I think, uh, you know, I really liked in talking about, you know, this document is not just something that's thrown in the drawer mm-hmm. that you're giving out to employees, but it's something that these HR departments and employers uh, you know, to your point that you allude to, they're actually using. I mean, these documents yeah. are used in defenses of, you know, harassment cases or right. unemployment or whatever that may be. So many scenarios that that you know that these employers have that handbook's kind of the first the first line of defense. Yeah, yeah. The risk is everywhere, wherever you turn your head, and and it is always going to be a component of their defense. The handbook and. Um, you know, it's just it's just important. It's an important document. It's it, as you say, it's it's being used daily. It's not shoved in a drawer and looked at and updated annually. It's a living, breathing instrument, right? I mean, it's something that's applied to their practices, how they engage their workplace. That's both employer and employee. And again, the design here is not to have a book of rules that you use as a punitive tool. It's the opposite. It's actually a document that creates an environment of confidence and trust and understanding that this is how we work together. And if we can all understand that clearly through a well-written handbook that doesn't just speak to statutes and laws, but how we practice that comports and, 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 and applies that statute or law, that's where uh, the, the huge pro or the biggest benefit of employee uh, handbooks exist. No, and, and you know, one thing too, it's, it's interesting as we talk through that, um, how does an employer state affect that? So as we're going through and we've got these handbooks, we're building them, we're getting their acknowledgement forms. Um, as we build that and we're, and we're using those, you know, as we determine what policy should be included or mm-hmm. required to be included, mm-hmm. what, how does the state affect that? It does, Chris. It, it, you know, it certainly can. And, and not every state has gotten into the labor law market, if you will. Uh, but we're seeing that increase across the country. and. More and more states are, are pushing 
actively pushing labor regulations. Uh, and it's really important that employers keep up with that. They have to keep up with that. Uh, it's really important. Um, you know, state-specific laws uh, can be leave laws, uh, disability designations, wage and hour. It goes on and on. So, again, if employers not paying attention to those state laws as they change, as well as the federal laws, then they can they can be in just as much trouble, uh, at, if not more so, uh, at the enforcement level, at the state level of noncompliance. And the penalties are unbelievable. And some of the markets that we see, um, I'm not going to name states, but some of the more heavily regulated markets, if you will, uh, have resulted in billions of dollars of penalties to employers. And that's just one state. And so, again, the risk is real, as we like to say. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not a, a mirage and you're not going to be able to skate by. Don't, don't think that it's not going to be you that a wage and hour investigator comes to uh, wanting to audit your employee files, look at your practices, look at your labor posters, look at all your FMLA documentation, because we hear about it uh, regularly. Yeah, and that, and that's that, that's true. I know uh, we hear a lot. You know what? I'm in a rural area, maybe in a small state. Uh, they're not going to come look at me. And right. and you know, a lot of times that's that's not. You know, they're not they're not up there looking in a book that, and then they decide who they're going to go and and investigate. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of times it's you know a lot of times it's whistleblowers. Uh, you have a you have a hacked off former employee. And they turn you in those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've we've worked with with um, companies in small small towns uh, yep. that have been investigated uh, and been and, and had issues. So that, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, and and oh boy, I tell you, we not only not only we've seen that uh, small employers and and more rural areas. Uh, you know, maybe there's a whistleblower who says they violated my FMLA rights. Okay, so the wage and hour investigator comes in and uh, conducts an audit, and then then it's on from there. They find one thing to get into your business; it just continues from there, and the audits will continue, and they will con- they will keep at it until they've gone all the way through your business, basically, and looked at every potential compliance area. And uh, that gets scary for employers; they don't know what to do in those situations. Um, and it, it really is, is an aggressive approach in some cases with the, the enforcement. So you're, you're, not, um, you're not out of risk just because you're not in a large metropolitan area. It can happen anywhere. Right. No, absolutely. And, and I know a lot of these companies are in multiple states. So if you've got, you know, if you're a company that's in two, three, four, five states, how do you handle that? In a oh. oh, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, and that happens often. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of clients that have a multi-state presence. And you know, what we advise in that case, I mean, it, it's really a business call. Um, but, but where we think the best opportunity is, is as you look at each of the states that you as an employer uh, are employing, um, some states have more onerous regulations, for lack of a better term, than others. Um, that's okay. That's just the way things are. Uh, Chris, in those cases, what we recommend is let's look at the state that offers perhaps uh, the broader or richer benefit. Let's say it's a state leave or a disability, for example. Um, we recommend applying that across all states. That way, you know, you're complying with the 
most uh, rich benefit that uh, let's say it's California as an example, uh, and apply that to all of the states that your employees work in. A couple of reasons that works and make sure that you're compliant with all states regardless, right? Um, so you don't have the risk of that. But then also you don't have to create, let's say you have, you're in five different states. I have five different handbooks and that becomes way too tedious for employers to maintain. Uh, and then you also, believe it or not, I mean, you can say this might seem trivial, but it's not. You have employees in one state who have a richer benefit than uh, employees in another state. You're going to have morale issues. There's going to be um, that environment where I'm going to assess and ask, why did they have more leave time than I do? And so it, that is a very real problem. Um, so I, that's why we suggest uh, taking that richer state benefit and just apply it across all of your uh, all of your uh, states that you're employing and uh, have one handbook that addresses that. Yeah, no, and I think that's smart, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it simplifies things. It's easier to administer. Um, no, and I think I think that's a smart way to do it. Uh, and, and, and to your point that um, the morale issue is real, you know, that, yeah. that is real. Um, so 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 tell me this. So we've talked about the pros and cons, the, the federal, the state parts of it, those kind of things. We know there are there are policies that you're generally going to have in there, right? FMLA, if mm-hmm. if you're you know if you required to comply with that, you're going to have your vacation, your sick leave. You know, there's some there's some basics there that you know that everybody kind of has in their handbook. Mm-hmm. What what are some other policies? Just just a couple of policies that that you would recommend for you know for people to consider to put into their handbook. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's it should be in there. It is probably one of those that you'll always find. I hope I hope I'm right when I say that, Chris. But I want a good, comprehensive uh, anti discrimination policy, mm-hmm. and we can we can talk about in, in this day and age um, with that that's changing to they're more protective classes from an employer standpoint uh, than we've seen, and and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's not a bad thing at all. We want diversity and inclusion uh, in the workplace. And, and uh, my HR concierge, I mean, we, we, we encourage that. We champion that because we think that's a, a, the way to a, a healthier workplace. So you really have to pay attention uh, to your workforce. Your workforce is also, uh, for the first time, I think in history, uh, U.S. history, uh, the majority of employees are older than their employer. So the younger generations, the millennial generations are really kind of taking over the workforce. And there's a lot of knowledge to be gained with such a young workforce at the helm uh, and, and understanding discrimination. What, what constitutes discrimination? What are the consequences for that? And you really have to make sure that uh, you have a handbook policy that addresses that very clearly and very specifically. I also think in this same age too, social media policies uh, are important. I mean, the, you know, the prolific nature of social media and how quickly we see that get away from people where things are posted, tweeted, messaged that maybe had they thought a little bit further through that, they wouldn't have posted it or tweeted it. But once you do, you can't take it back. Right. Um, And 
we've seen some of the best innovations in social media, but we've also seen the worst of behaviors in social media. And so I think a good social media policy that includes anti-harassment, anti-bullying, those types of things, uh, they're important. So the company has uh, a very clear understanding that they have the right to intervene and investigate. Your First Amendment protections don't apply if you post something that disparages or harasses a fellow employee or a customer or a visitor of your employee or employer. Um, so those don't apply. And if you can't, you also don't have protections if you disparage your employer. So these are things that might seem innocent or not harmful when I tweeted it or posted it, but in fact, they can be very harmful to an employer. So uh, we really believe a social media policy that speaks to that um, is important. That's a great point. And, and, that, and that really drives the, you know, these handbooks aren't static um, no. because because the world changes. If you think about it, you know, I, you know, I'm not a big social media person, but, but 10 years ago there, mm-hmm. I don't know if there was a need for that, but now, uh, now there is because right. of that. And you have right. so many employees that are on it. So that's a good point that, that it really has to evolve yeah. um, as the world evolves. It does. And, and our workplace, again, our workplace, uh, our, our employees change, you know, each generation brings about new challenges and new opportunities. And so we have to be flexible and embrace that and understand it and make sure that we respond properly and effectively to that. It's just each generation brings a different age uh, to it. And, um, you know, another policy, Chris, uh, is, and, and I hate to even say it, but violence in the workplace and weapons yeah. prohibition, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, we, we, we know, we know the topic, we hear about it. It happens. I don't want to dwell on it, but I think it's very important for employers to recognize, uh, that there is a, a huge potential for violence and it can happen in a second without any warning. So again, setting policies, I don't know that that protects everyone in those situations, but it certainly is incumbent on the employer to express, uh, if they if they choose to, and I, I would encourage uh, a, a nonviolence and a weapons prohibition with very severe consequences if violated. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and 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 that they really communicate those. I know I was talking to a group the other day that uh, they had an employee who was in the break room, and they were looking through uh, lockers to find a locker where they could put their put their stuff for their shift. When they opened up one of the lockers, there's a weapon in there. Wow. And so, and they didn't have a weapons policy. And so it was, what do I do? What can Mm -hmm. I do? So we Mm kind of, we walk, you know, we, uh, with your group's help, they, you know, we walked them through that. And, um, and, and as it turned out, it was just, this person was a security guard as a second job, drove a motorcycle and didn't want to leave his weapon in his motorcycle while he worked the shift. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but, but, but yeah, that really has to be communicated. And, um, and that's a, that's a good point. I, I think a weapons policy, especially uh, today is very, very, yeah. very important. Agreed. So, so, so we've, we've decided to make it, we've gone through all these things. We've thought through these different parts and we've decided to make a handbook or build a handbook. Um, do you have any kind of tips uh, for creating a handbook for these groups? Kind of where to start? Uh, how they need to go about doing that. Yeah. It's, it's an ominous prospect when you first open that up, right? It's like, <laughs> where do I begin? <laughs> uh, 
No, I get it. Uh, and so what I, what I would suggest is kind of sandwich it in, if you will. I'd start with federal labor laws. Just just start with those. Uh, FMLA, COBRA, ERISA, uh, ADA, American with Disabilities Act. Uh, there are others that I won't I'll remember right now, but, but start with your federal labor laws and make sure that you have, don't just drop in statutes that speak to that. Uh, Use examples if you can, or put put language in there that that shows a practical application that an employee would understand. So it's uh, it's important to do that, and then the sandwiching would bring in state uh, laws, right? If you know, if I, I have my FMLA, but oh, guess what? I have a state specific leave that runs concurrent with that, or in addition to that. Uh, so we have to look at those things. There may be uh, certain benefits that for uh, jury duty or bereavement or, you know, domestic violence that some states have that others don't. So be sure that you're reviewing your state labor laws and have those in there as well. Okay. And then, you know, after that, Chris, it's really, and, and I really like this part of it because I get to speak about the culture of my workplace. What values do I want to have expressed in my handbook that creates that culture of inclusion uh, best practices, really clear expectations. Uh, I want to know as an employee, I want to know what's expected of me because I want to do a great job and I want to contribute to the success of this company. And it's not just about the task. It's about how I conduct myself in the workplace. So if I know that, then boy, I'm really bringing about, I think my best opportunity and, and some written form uh, of building a hugely productive workforce. And Again, these these policies don't exist in a book between covers. Right. We have to talk about it. We have to speak to it. We have to, uh, 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 you know, champion those practices as leaders and as as employers each day that we have the chance to. If you have a chance to speak to it, do it because that that again just reinforces it. So that's that's kind of the tips. Uh, those are the tips that I sort of have in, in creating an employee handbook. And those best practices, again, are like social media. They're like dress codes. They're like rules of conduct and behavior. They're, um, you know, uh, breaks and meals and lunches that, you know, that may seem trivial, but it's not. You have to have a schedule and those schedules have to be adhered to uh, because that's that can impact your productivity, can impact your operation and your service to your customers. So. Uh, again, all policies in a handbook need to be relevant. They need to be meaningful to the employee and applied consistently. Uh, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, what you just said, applied consistently is so important. Uh, I think that that's a great point. Well, and if I can, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Chris, but boy, did you just not hit the nail on the head? Uh, that is that is one of the biggest mistakes employers make. It's, man, you got all the tools, you got all the resources, you got all the information to handle what you need to handle, but you don't do it consistently. And you lose any and all ability to defend that in those situations, because invariably without consistency and enforcement, you're going to lead to unintended discrimination. It's almost a given. So, uh, and then obviously the morale issues that right. it's, that, stem from that because if you don't enforce policies consistently as an employer, even your best employees will never trust you. So that's uh yeah, you really made a, a, a key point to this whole exercise. Well, no, absolutely. I think that's a, a, 
I think that consistency, it's a, it's a key to everything, right. As a, right. as an employer and a, and a business owner. And um, so, so let, so let me ask you this. So we've, we've, we've used, we've, we've taken your tips. We've built a handbook. How often should we get that review? We get a lot of questions about that. Um, I don't think it's practical to attempt to review that more than once a year. Um, you know, you could, you could, they could be a full-time job <laughs> in some States. Right. Yeah. And then I'm just constantly monitoring and almost weekly, you know, I may be exaggerating, but if quarterly or monthly, I may be updating my handbook because a state statute change or a federal law tweak uh, or, or a pandemic. <laughs> right. and I'm not making short of it, but uh, could occur. And then there are new laws pushed out. So um I think annually is sufficient um, and it needs to be done in a way that uh, you're going to have to take time doing it. Right. It's you just don't brush through it. Uh, you're going to have to sit down and look at each law uh, that uh, was introduced or changed. And, and federal. I can't speak to all states, but the federal government does a pretty good job with version control, if you will, uh, of, mm-hmm. of putting a you know, DOL department of labor does, does a good job of notifying or waging our of law of changes. Right. So uh, it's not impossible to keep up with. You just have to have good resources and good tools to, to be able to do that in an effective way. But annually is uh, I think sufficient, Chris. Okay. No, that's great. And that, and that, I think that makes sense. And, you know, one thing is that as they do get those reviewed or updated every year, it is important that they go back and, and get those updated acknowledgement forms too when they roll those those new versions out. Cause we've you know, we've seen that play out before too, where yeah. they have acknowledgement forms for, you know, three versions ago. Yeah. Um, so that that's important. No, that's very important. I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. Um, so no, that's great. Well, um, from an employee handbook perspective, are there any other thoughts you may have as we as we kind of kind of close for today that uh, to kind of just put out there as, as you know, on the subject? Uh, just have an employee handbook. Um, I think it's important. Uh, I, I hear uh, occasionally, well, my attorney told me not to have a handbook, that that will, that will block me in to policies and I shouldn't have to be uh, limited in my ability to do what I want to do as an employer. And I think that's I think that's playing the risk side of the house uh, as opposed to the risk mitigation side of the house. I think you're rolling the dice a little too aggressively in that case. I'm not I'm not challenging uh, the opinion of that. I just offer an alternative opinion of it that I think those policies, if well written, formally documented, consistently applied, do more to help in the defense of an employer in situations that are going to occur. And uh, that's what it's all about. It's about risk mitigation. It's about creating a a culture of expectation and productivity and confidence. And so I think a handbook is critical to achieving all of those. Absolutely. And I I agree with you on that. I think that's a great point. And uh, I really want to appreciate you being here today. Uh, I think that, I think that, I think you're, a lot of good information out there that can help help employers and I uh, just appreciate your time and uh, yeah. you know, we'll definitely uh, do this again. No, this was fun. I appreciate it. Look forward to our next podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, thank you for listening to MyHR Buzz podcast today. Uh, we definitely want to thank our, our guest, John Yarder, with MyHR Concierge for joining us. I, I think that was a lot of great information on employee handbooks. Uh, if you liked the show, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and tell a friend. Uh, if you didn't like it, tell an enemy. Uh, have them listen to it. So again, the podcast can be found at iTunes or any other places that you typically find your podcast. Uh, if you'd like to f- provide feedback, you can certainly do that. Um, if you want to provide maybe a topic for a future show, uh, email us at podcast at myhrbuzz.com. And this is Chris Cooley. And again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we look forward to sharing more topics with you next time. Thank you.